What's going on, guys? This is Rob Doster here. I want to let you know about our sponsors, Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about them yet, it is the easiest way for you to make a podcast. I know because all of our 28 podcasts on the field of 68 and the field of 12 use Anchor by Spotify. It has the tools that will allow you to record and edit your pods right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places that allow you to listen to podcasts for absolutely free. Anchor sends those pods directly to the feeds. And here's the best part about it. Anchor is totally free. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm if you want to get started on your own podcast. going on what's going on what's going on that was a pretty wild night in college basketball for me tonight. i don't think i was necessarily expecting it to be um quite what it was we had a blowout win from creighton who um looks like they're finally kind of hitting their their stride this season uh, i think michigan made a pretty significant statement in terms of you know beating up on a minnesota team that we thought was uh you know was one of the better teams in the big 10 tennessee got back to their winning ways Duke came from 16 down to pick off uh, Boston College at home, which is not something that I necessarily thought I would ever be saying. Baylor picked up a nice win over Oklahoma. Louisville got a nice win against um, uh, against against Virginia Tech. So uh, it was a fun night in college basketball. I mean, I think the biggest thing that we have to talk about is probably uh, Michigan beating up on, on Minnesota. And, and, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about uh, Michigan and kind of where they stand this season uh, over the, you know, over the first two or three weeks um, as, as they're still sitting here undefeated, they're the only undefeated team left in the big 10. They're sitting here five and oh. And I think tonight was a little bit of a statement. You know, I'm still not completely sold on them being elite. Uh, You know, I I think that right now the two best teams in college basketball are still the two best teams that we saw uh, heading into the start of the season in terms of um, Gonzaga and Baylor. Um, I think Michigan is right there with everyone else. But uh, the thing you got to remember about Minnesota is they've just been horrid on the road all year long. You know, they, they haven't done anything um, to make us think that they were anything more than just an average team uh, when they play away from the barn. They lost by 27 at Illinois. Uh, they lost um, – what was the other game? They lost by uh, – was it, it was at Wisconsin. They lost by 12 at Wisconsin. So um, I, I'm not, I'm not going to take a win – at home against a Minnesota team that can't do anything outside of the state of Minnesota and, and suddenly use that to justify uh, Michigan being uh, the best team in college basketball. I will say this, though. Um, they're not not the best team in college basketball, if that makes sense. I, I, I can see a situation where they end up um, winning the Big Ten. You know, I, I, I think that they can win the Big Ten tournament. Obviously, I think they can win the Big Ten regular season title. Now, I do want to see them get tested a little bit more. Uh, the questions that we have about their backcourt are still there. You know, Mike Smith tonight um, ended up with, uh, with, with six turnovers. Uh, in Big Ten play, um, they have the highest offensive turnover rate of anybody uh, in the league. And tonight was the first time that they played a team that was a top 50 defense and a team that finished uh, that ranks in the top 80 in defensive turnover percentage. Um, so the questions we had heading into the year were about their, their backcourt. And, I don't think that we've necessarily gotten an answer because I don't think that those guys have necessarily uh, been tested the way um, that we need them to be uh, tested to be able to 
um, to, to properly evaluate them. Now, what what Michigan did against <laughs> against Minnesota, like you can't you can't just write that off. You know, Hunter Dickinson has been something of a revelation. Uh, you know, he really is just um, terrific. I think that he is he's not just one of the best. Uh, freshman in college basketball. He's one of the best players in college basketball. He deserves to be in the conversation for uh, first team All Big Ten. And if you're in the conversation for first team All Big Ten this year, then you know you're 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 probably good enough to be uh, somewhere in that conversation for first or second team um, All American overall. So uh, you know he's having just a, a great great season. I don't think there's really thing, anything else that you can say about it. And that's kind of what the difference maker has been, and why we. Um, why they're maybe outperforming some of the expectations that we had for them heading into the season. Um, we didn't really, uh, I, at least I did not expect Hunter Dickinson to be a guy where I'm sitting here like, yeah, well, you know what? He probably could end up being a, a one and done first round pick kind of a player if he wants to go pro. And, you know, I did not absolutely did not expect to be uh, talking about him as an all American heading into the season. I, I think I was kind of on the same page as everyone else in, in, in assuming that that would be, um, Isaiah Livers this year, so uh, I, I'm I'm very very impressed with Michigan. I think they're better than anybody um, thought that they would be. I'm still not ready to uh, like to put a bow on it. I'm still not ready to call them the definitive best team in the Big Ten, the you know the definitive top three team in college basketball at this point. Uh, but nothing that they have done would would prove that that uh, anyone that says that is wrong. If that makes sense, um, it was also nice to see Creighton get going a little bit. You know, I think that. Um, when they are making shots, as simple as it sounds, but when, when they are making shots, they're just so dangerous, man. Like they can, they can put up points in such a in such a hurry. And uh, I think what was most impressive is that they they just blew the doors off of Seton Hall, um, and they didn't even get like a good night out of Mitchell Ballack. He played, he 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 finished with three points. He only took two shots. Um, they didn't really need him, you know. Seton Hall focused on taking him away and, and kind of got burned because Damian Jefferson had a really good night and. Um, Denzel Mahoney was playing well. It's just, you know, it was it was very much a a balanced effort from Creighton. It just watching watching that game, it just seemed like Creighton was a clear cut top ten team, and, and Seton Hall was a clear cut unranked team. And it, it's that sounds a little bit simple and a little bit basic, but that's that's kind of um, that's kind of what it was. Uh, Michael Lofton asked if I heard anything on on Bryce Aiken. No, but I, I'm pretty sure was he on crutches at the end of the game. It looked like he was on crutches on, on the sidelines. Um, they showed him after he changed out of his jersey. For people that don't know, Bryce Aiken is the grad transfer point guard from Harvard, uh, was a first-team all-Ivy League player, um, and transferred to Seton Hall. He's just never, ever been able to get healthy. I think this is the second time that he's rolled over that same ankle this season, and he just, as soon as it happened, it, it was it was such a like a basic play, too. I felt so bad for the kid. He was just like running through the lane, trying to clear out to get to the other side of the floor, stepped on somebody's foot, rolled it over, and and you know it just it was it looked pretty bad because he was he was down and he was in, in quite a bit of pain. Um, and, and you know honestly, like I'm not going to pin this 36 point loss on on not having Bryce Aiken there, but I do think that uh, his presence on the floor, like the, his 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 experience, his ability to f- facilitate the fact that he actually is a shot maker. Um, which sometimes uh, Seton Hall doesn't always have, uh, is something that is it, it hurts. They're going to miss them. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, this, it's not why they lost this game, uh, but it might be a reason that they end up losing another game at some point um, 
later on in the year. So uh, not having not having um, Bryce Aiken is definitely something that will hurt them. But I, I mean, I was a little bit surprised that Kevin Willard decided to to go with the small starting lineup. Um, I, I thought that he might try to play big. You know, the, the the thing that Creighton does best is is go with that kind of four outlook with the with the small ball five center. Um, and they, what what Seton Hall did was just kind of playing to their hands with the matchup. I thought that Mamu uh, would have a chance to win that matchup a little bit more than he actually did, and I thought that uh, it, it was it was good that Seton Hall was, would be able to play that way with them. Um, but I didn't necessarily expect them to go uh, full small ball right off the bat, but they did, and, and you know it didn't really work. <laughs> By the time that um, everybody woke up and, and uh, finally got to that channel, it was already Creighton was already up seventeen to four, so. Um, quite the beatdown, quite the, the the disappointing for people like me. That uh, disappointing performance for people like me that decided to uh, put a bet in on Seton Hall. So that was a little bit unfortunate. But you know, when, when the thing about Creighton playing the way that they're playing is, I think that they are the one other team in the Big East that really does have you know Final Four upside. That really does have the potential to to make a long run. Um, in the NCAA tournament. And like, since we don't really know what is going to happen with Villanova, like if they're ever going to get out of this, this COVID pause phase of the season, uh, we don't know what kind of condition they're going to be in. Like they're living in basically living in a hotel and quarantining right now. Um, and they were doing it for, what was it? Since December 26th, they came back and practiced on Sunday had two positive tests and immediately shut down again. So that's, that's what they'll probably end up being in there for 14 or 15 days. Um, and you know, it's, it's very easy to get out of shape when you're, uh, when you're not really in that good of a shape. Now imagine being in somewhere close to peak physical condition and having to go and sit in a hotel room for, for three weeks and, uh, and then go and try to play big East caliber basketball, then go try to play, uh, and, and, you know, win a national title and win a conference title and, and win a conference tournament and do all of those things that the, that these Villanova players are going to try to do. And it's, it's just, it's not easy. It's not easy to do. So um, it, it is something where uh, I do feel bad for him. Brian, Tom, uh, Brian, I'm not even going to try to pronounce your last name. Tonsoni? Hopefully I got that right. Um, and he, he asked about the SEC games, thoughts on Arkansas, thoughts on LSU. Uh, my thoughts on Arkansas haven't really changed since the start of the season like I do see the potential there um I I think that they're uh kind of running to some bad matchups um I was and I am always impressed with with their backcourt I think that uh JD Note and uh, Jalen Tate are better than I expected I I kind of is I I don't is Desi Sills hurt is there something going on there because I, I always expect him to be a little bit better than what he is I kind of feel like he is something of a leader for that team um, and you know he he uh, he struggled the last two games, I believe. I know he was scoreless today. Um, what did he do against Missouri? He wasn't all that good against Missouri. Yeah, he only had six points against Missouri. Shot one for ten from the floor. So um, they got to get him going. Uh, they got to get him right. Um, he is, uh, you know, like as Pat Bradley likes to say, the former Arkansas player who's. Now hosting a podcast on the Field of 68 Media Network, um, he, that, that Desi Sells is kind of the heart and soul of that team. And, you know, when he's struggling, it's not – I don't think it's a coincidence that uh, Arkansas has now lost a couple of games in a row. Um, but, again, like I'm I'm very, very high on this Tennessee team. And I still am. You know, the, the, the shooting is definitely a concern. They were uh, 
I believe it was four for 21 from the floor and the loss to Alabama on Saturday. They were five for 18 from three um, tonight in, in, in a win over Arkansas. So, I mean, that's a problem that they're going to have to be solved. Uh, I do think that it was a good sign that Victor Bailey Jr. was able to get it going a little bit. And it was a good sign that Josiah Jordan James was able to get it going a little bit tonight. And, and you know, Keon Johnson finding a way to impact the game offensively, I think is what is going to end up being the, the ticket to uh, Tennessee reaching their ceiling and turning into um, a, a team that can really get to a, a final four. Um, because they don't like I me. Mean, the knock on them is still the same knock that they've had all season long. They just don't have that guy that can go out and get you a bucket and break down the defense when you need to break down a defense. They, they have um, players that have been capable of it, but, but having someone that's capable of it and having a guy that you can give the rock to and know that you are going to get a good shot no matter what happens on that possession uh, are two very, very different things. And it's certainly something that, um, that I think Tennessee is, uh, is, is missing this year. And I don't know if they're going to be able to find it, um, I, I've thought that Jaden Springer could be that guy. I think that Keon Johnson can maybe end up being that guy. You know, I, I want to see, um, it would be nice to see John Fulkerson kind of continue to play the way that, that he played, um, well tonight, but you know, by the end of last season, uh, he was probably the best big guy in the SEC, um, to see him continue to play that way, is something that would help. But, you know, again, big guys can only get you so far. So, um, I was, kind of what I expected um, in that game, more or less. When it comes to LSU, you know, it just – they can't guard, man. Like, I can never buy teams that are, are just not good defensively. And and I've gotten to the point where I just think that LSU is not good defensively. I think it's really just um, as, as simple as that. You, you know, they, where are they now? They're 123rd um, in defensive efficiency on Ken Palm. They gave up 92 points. I know it was in overtime, but they gave up 92 points to a Georgia team that I don't think anybody – uh, really believes um, is all that good. Like the talent is there, right? Like Javante Smart can play. Trent Wofford, um, you know, I think that he has a chance to uh, to be a pro. I, it's kind of interesting seeing him in this like point forward ish kind of role that that Will Wade is um, is is using today or is, is using this season. Uh, Cam Thomas, obviously, absolute bucket getter, uh, but. You know, you really there's only so much that you can do if you're not going to get in stops and you're not going to you're not going to guard anyone. And um, to date, like LSU just really hasn't guarded anybody. And, uh, you know, I, how, how good can you be if you're not getting stops? I mean, it really just for, for them, it's really just as simple as that um, for me. Uh, the, the last thing I wanted to touch on um, before we kind of open it up just for questions, if anybody has anything is uh, is Duke. And it's Wendell Moore. Um, Wendell Moore has had uh, a pretty horrific sophomore season. You know, he's a guy that um, was kind of on the borderline of being a, a five-star and a potential one-and-done when he got to um, to Duke last season. Uh, did not have a very good year. He, was, he looked like he was lost defensively early on and um, picked it up a little bit towards the end of the season. He, of course, had that, uh, that, that really memorable tip-in. Um, in overtime at the buzzer to uh, to beat North Carolina last season. But uh, after scoring 13 points in the first game um, of this season, he had, let me count it up, six points in the last four games. He played seven minutes in the loss to Illinois. He played nine minutes in the win at Notre Dame. Um, he had hit one shot 
from the floor in his previous four games. He was 1-4-21 from the field uh, in the four games before um, tonight. And, and, you know, tonight he was the guy, like, he made it all happen for him. You know, he had he finished with 25 points. He was 8-13 from the floor. He hit a couple threes. Um, he was he really was the difference maker. And, uh, you know, I don't think that Duke is all that good or all that talented or, you know, I, I've been – uh, anyone that listens to the Best Bets podcast knows that I've uh, I've heavily faded uh, Duke at any chance that I've had the opportunity to do so this season, and it's been a, a you know a profitable endeavor for us. Um, and I think that part of the reason is just like we know that Wendell Moore isn't really all that good, and, and we know that Matthew Hurt is uh, he can do some things, but he's also certainly very limited. And you know DJ Stewart is kind of coming on a little bit, but. Um, there's still some question marks about just how consistent he can end up being. So um, they need a guy. Like, they don't really have any guys. Like, normally when we watch Duke, like, we we always have questions about their defense and questions about certain other things. But you normally never question the talent level on that roster, right? You normally look at them and say, okay, well, uh, we I don't know if they're going to be able to get stops, but they still got Tyus Jones. They still got Julio Okafor. They still got Justice Winslow. We don't know if they're going to be able to uh, to make threes, but they still got Zion Williamson and they still got R.J. Barrett and they still got Cam Reddish. Uh, we don't know if they actually like each other, but they still got Jason Tatum and they still got Grayson Allen and they still got Luke Kennard. This team were saying, well, they do kind of play hard and it's, it's fun to watch them get out and press and transition when they start trying to turn the ball over and this, that, and the third. But, you know, you're starting Jordan Goldwire and, and you have Matthew Hurt who, like, is very much a liability on the defensive floor, uh, the defensive end of the floor still um, as what amounts to your best player, right? Like you don't really have anyone that can play the five. It's, it's a problem for Duke this year. And uh, that's, that's a long way of saying like they need someone that can kind of go out there and take over when Matthew Hurt isn't able to get a shot off because he's going against someone that's bigger and stronger or someone that is going to be able to kind of lock him up on the perimeter and, um, someone that is going to make him uh, is going to make Duke pay by scoring more points against him than than he scores himself. And uh, to me, I think that that Wendell Moore is kind of the key. And um, Duke's got to get him going. They got him going tonight. I don't know if it was uh, honestly, I don't know what it was, but it, it was nice to see him finally find a little bit of confidence because you never, you know, as much as as much as I make fun of Duke, as much as, as as much fun as it is to kind of um, crack jokes about uh, the evil empire or whatever, like you never want to see a kid struggling. And it's very clear that uh, this season Wendell Moore um, has been struggling. So I'm glad that he was able to get it going a little bit tonight. Uh, you know, if you, if you can tell me moving forward that, that you have a team on the floor where um, – or you have a rotation that includes a guy like a Jordan Goldwire that can be a defensive stopper and a G- DJ Stewart that can get a bucket and a window more that can be kind of like uh, that do everything six foot six athletic wing. And you got a guy that can score at the four and Matthew Hurt and um, maybe Jamie Brakefield can, can be that floor spacer. Like maybe Jeremy Roach can kind of develop into a guy that uh, doesn't have a one-to-one assist turnover ratio. You know, I, there's, there's the potential for growth growth there. Um, but, you know, it's 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 very limiting what they have on the roster this year. But uh, I will say this, having, uh, having Wendell Moore playing well and get, having him get going is definitely something that I think can um, change what their ceiling is, not just, you know, in, in individual games, but kind of, uh, kind of long-term. Um, yeah, that's really, 
you know, that's that's the majority of the games that I ended up watching. If anybody has any any questions or anything they want to talk about or they want to hop on, you know, hit that that speaker request button, uh, drop something in the comments. Um, you know, I got a little bit of time. I can hang out for a little bit longer. No, I I thought it was uh, I thought it was pretty interesting um, watching watching Baylor play tonight. Um, I I've I've questioned like just how good they are defensively this year um, at certain times, just because they don't necessarily have the same kind of size um, and the same kind of um, defensive, I guess defensive stalwarts is maybe the, the, the best word, best word to use. Like losing Freddie Gillespie is something that is, is very concerning for me for the way that they wanted to play defense because of his switchability and the way that he can protect the rim and the way that he can kind of um, get out there and guard on the perimeter a little bit and, and, and the, the lob catcher tendencies that he has. Um, and I thought they, they did an unbelievable job just shutting down an Oklahoma team that has actually some good, like Austin Reeves is a good guard. Um, Debian Harbin is a good guard. Uh, they got the kid on the bench, um, Gibson that, that went for, uh, went for 29 the other night against West Virginia. And like Oklahoma never once, never once looked like they were comfortable, um, going up against, uh, uh, Baylor. Maybe it was just because it was a good matchup and, you know, Baylor has no shortage of, of really talented and really skilled and, and really good defensive guards. Um, but I, I was I was really impressed with them on that end of the floor. You know, I, I I think that what you're getting with Baylor this year, and, and it's actually really savvy from uh, from Scott Drew, is a team that like does a lot more ball screen stuff. They they're a lot more comfortable um, playing small. I, I mean, look, the what, what kind of won the game tonight was when Adam Flagler and, and Matthew Mayer came in off the bench and, you know, you get 31 points out of those two guys, uh, 12 for 18 shooting. They hit five threes combined. Um, that's that's a lot of firepower coming off your bench, especially when you have uh, pros all over the place in, in your backcourt. Like, I mean, Jared Butler is an NBA player. I think Davion Mitchell is going to be a, a top 45 pick in this year's draft. Uh, Macy Oteague is going to play professional basketball somewhere. And to back them up with, with two guys like Matthew Mayer and Adam Flagler coming off the bench like that, that gives you a lot of, of really interesting lineups. And, and frankly, like, I think that they – it means that they can match up with Gonzaga as well as, as anybody in the country, right? Like, the thing that makes Gonzaga so dangerous is they can play um, that, that, that's, that four-round one lineup, and they have, like, three point guards, three high, high-level point guards in Jalen Suggs, Andrew Nemhart, and Joel Ayayi with the best shooter in college basketball and Corey Kispert on the floor. All around, who the guy who may be the best low post scorer in the country, and Drew Timmy, like that is, that's a nightmare to try to deal with. And if you're going to tell me I, I have to pick any team to be able to figure out a way to stop that with, it's, it's going to be a team that then you can give me Mark Vidal, and you can give me Davion Mitchell, and you can give me Jared Butler and Macy Oteague, and, and you know everyday John out there, or, or whoever you want to kind of uh, put that lineup together. But I, I think that they are uniquely suited this season to being able to match up with Gonzaga, which is part of the reason why it's so disappointing and so frustrating that we weren't able to actually get that game um, earlier this season. Uh, you, you know, hopefully uh, we'll get them in the NCAA tournament. It's one of those years where, um, you know, I mentioned this when we were talking about Michigan earlier, it, it very much feels like it's Baylor and Gonzaga and everybody else. And it will be certainly frustrating if we don't, get those two teams playing at any point this season, especially when they were supposed to be scheduled to play uh, earlier this year. And, and honestly, like 
I guarantee that the committee is going to find a way to get them on opposite sides of the bracket because there would be nothing that would be more disappointing than seeing um, Baylor and Gonzaga playing uh, in the national semifinals um, and advancing to the the title game to play, to play like I don't know like a, a, a like a Houston or something like that. I feel like that would be just such a buzzkill and uh, such a weird way um, to end the season. Uh, we do have a couple more questions coming in. Um, uh, Michael Lofton said hearing rumors about Johnson shutting it down, but it hasn't come out and said it. Um, and I mean, my understanding is that uh, when the injury happened, he ended up going back home. Like he was at one of his uh, little brother's basketball games. Um, I think it was before uh, Christmas. Um, and Wendell Moore came out and like publicly said on the record that, that he was back with the team is before the new year. Uh, but he hadn't been practicing. Um, you know, the, Jeff Goodman had reported that that he does not believe that the uh, the injury that Jalen Johnson is dealing with is necessarily all that serious. And um, I, I certainly don't think that there's a coincidence that these rumors came out at the same time that Jalen Johnson was placed in like the top five in a bunch of NBA mock drafts. I mean, if there's ever going to be a year for a guy that is an elite prospect like Jalen Johnson, to kind of shut things down once he has uh, kind of achieved that that level of uh, level of hype, maybe that level of um, NBA draft projection, and once he's kind of proven what he can be as a pro, like it might as well be the year when you're when everybody's dealing with the coronavirus. The team that he's playing on is really not all that good, um, and uh, and you know you're dealing with everything that we're dealing with this season. You know uh, that said, like I don't have any info on that. I don't think that any decision has been made on that. Um, I, I think that if I was advising him, um, I probably would recommend that, uh, you know, if he actually is hurt um, and, and I'm just going to go ahead and, and take Duke at face value, take Jalen Johnson at face value when he says that he's hurt. Um, if he actually is hurt and it's some kind of serious injury that can be re-aggravated with uh with stress, like if it's a stress reaction, if it's if it's some kind of like broken bone or something like that, then um, I think you really got to consider uh, shutting things down. Just because, I mean, we're talking about big guys and bad feet or bad combinations. Um, but if this is something where it's not like if it's a sprain or if it's not something that can be uh, aggravated or re-injured or made worse by coming back and playing on it, then I don't think that that it will hurt you in the eyes of NBA scouts to come back and play. Like, I think that we all had question marks. Cole Anthony is really the perfect example, right? Like we all had question marks about the player that he could be um, before he got hurt, before he hurt his knee. And like, I mean, North Carolina was not playing well. He was not passing the ball all that well. He had shot his team out of a couple games and, he ended up coming back and, and playing in what was a lost season for North Carolina. And it's not like he played great. Um, and it's not like he completely changed his, uh, his, where he was getting projected in drafts. And he ended up going like, what was it like 20 something? Um, so it's not like he played his way back into being a top five prospect in the class, but you know, in talking with NBA people and, and talking with people that do the scouting, I think it was very notable how often people said, they respected the competitiveness and part of um, part of being able to evaluate a prospect and determine what his ceiling can be and what he can develop into is that competitiveness is that 
desire to be the best is that desire to win is that that love for just being on the court um and and that love for competing and i think that that was something that certainly um helped keep cole where he was even if um the performance on the floor was not something that necessarily backed it up like it's much easier let me let me phrase it like this it's much easier to overlook things that can be fixed in a player's game when you believe that they're going to get in the gym and put in the work because they love doing it. And and I think with Cole, um, people were a little bit more willing to, to overlook some of the shooting issues and maybe some of the creation issues and say, okay, maybe it's just a competitiveness thing, blah, 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 blah. So um, I, I, I don't know if that's necessarily what Jalen Johnson is going to do. Uh, but I do think that there is a world where it would behoove him to come back. And there's also a situation uh, where it wouldn't necessarily be the best thing for him to just kind of be like, all right, you know what? I, I did what I have to do. Um, I need to protect myself and, and protect my future value and, and, and protect my, the, the health of my body. And it's not worth it to risk it to play for free in a year where uh, the only reason that, that people are on the court is because the NCAA needs to be able to get that $900 million check from CBS and Turner. So, um, Speaking of that $900 million check from CBS and Turner, Joseph Bird asks, thoughts on the NCAA tourney being played in a bubble in India? So, Joseph, I don't think that it's actually a bubble. Uh, I, I think that the buzzword that they're going to use is controlled environment, um, just because it's going to be too difficult to have that many teams playing in an actual bubble at that many different environments and that many different locations. Um, but I honestly, like, I, I love it. I, 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 well, no, let me, let me rephrase that. I hate the fact that we have to make this decision, but I do think that playing it in Indianapolis is, is making, making the, the most and making the best out of a really, really bad situation and a really tough decision that you have to make. Uh, and, and, you know, I think the reason for that is pretty simple, right? Like we're going to get NCAA tournament games in Assembly Hall. We're going to get NCAA tournament games in, uh, in, in Hinkle Fieldhouse. We're going to get NCAA tournament games, I believe, in Mackey Arena. Someone correct me if I'm, I'm wrong on any of those, but uh, I don't have the release in front of me. But I'm, like, those are some of the best, um, the best basketball venues on, on the planet. Professional, not professional, college, whatever it is. Like, those are some of the best basketball buildings on the planet. Now, it'd be a lot better if you could get 15,000 in, uh, in Hinkle Fieldhouse to be able to play that game or 17,000 in, um, in, in Assembly Hall to be able to play that game. Uh, but I mean, that's just, it's not something that's going to happen this season. So making the best out of a bad situation, like I said, uh, is, is something that I think makes a lot of sense. And honestly, like I am kind of looking forward to the way that those are going to happen. I, I thought that, that what was great about the bubble was that at least the NBA bubble was that it just became about who, and it just became about who are the guys that just wanted to play, who are the guys that cared about basketball the most who are the guys that are willing to compete at the highest level? And and not to say that that doesn't always happen in the NBA, but I think that it was a little bit different in the NBA bubble uh, or in the in, in the bubble in Orlando than it, it necessarily was um, kind of overall. And, and I'm hoping that that will happen with college basketball too. Like, like honestly, I think it would have been fun to be able to try to get all these games in the same venue and, and, um, and having them just kind of roll back and forth. Obviously, that's not going to work with the – limitations on how many people that you can have uh in one space but um yeah mostly it's just i think it's going to be awesome i think indy is the best uh possible place for you to be able to do all of this um you know if you need to use there's going to be plenty of high school gyms with, with 
space to be able to practice. Uh, there's, there's, of course, like everything is kind of close. There's, there's not all that many long drives. There's going to be plenty of hotel rooms. So, um, yeah, I think that they, they made a right, the right decision uh, with where they had it. And uh, I think that, again, it's probably the best, um, the best thing that we could have asked for given, given the entire situation. So, um, yeah, exactly, Joseph. He said that uh, he thinks it's the best central location in Indianapolis. Plenty of college and high school gyms within an hour drive. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And, and uh, all of those college gyms and all of those high school gyms are very, very big and will have multiple locker rooms and will have space to be able to keep people separated um, and will be able to, to, to make sure that, like, the, the contact um, – the, the social distancing and the contact tracing and all that is, is something that's, that's possible to do uh, with the facilities that are, that are normally pretty good. So um, yeah, I mean, I would much rather have it be a situation where I was actually able to go to the final four and experience the final four, the way that it normally is and go to bars and, and go to the parties and, and do all that stuff. But it's just, that's not an option this year, unfortunately. So um, it is what it is. I like, it. I'm looking forward to it, but uh, is there anything else? Um, we've been here for about 30 minutes, um, and I think that I covered just about everything that I could possibly talk about on the stream. Um, so anyway, thank you guys for coming in and hanging out with me. I'm going to try to be doing these a little bit more often. Maybe next time Deshaun won't actually bail on me, so I won't have to sit here and talk to myself for 33 minutes. But uh, it's a good thing that I, I do enjoy talking maybe a little bit too much. At least that's what my wife says. So uh, we'll see you guys again. Maybe we'll do it tomorrow. Maybe we'll do it Saturday. We'll find some things. Just, you know, follow me on here. Follow me on Twitter at Rob Doster. And uh, and I'll make sure to let you guys know whenever I'm live. All right. And we'll uh, see you tomorrow.